Coming up on the show, touch our hands and feel the vibes. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Welcome everyone once again to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. My name is Brian and this week I'll be joined by my friends Chris and Eric and we're going to discuss, well, I'll tell you, we're going to discuss the 1988 Jeff Goldblum and Cindy Lauper vehicle, Vibes. Uh, truth of the matter is that when we were trying to pick this week's show, it was my turn and I'm like, hey guys, what about this movie? And the other guys are like, um, no. And I'm like, well, what about this movie? And they're like, yeah. So we kind of fell back on one that's been sitting in our backlog for a while. And it's this one. Vibes is the kind of movie that time forgot. It's the kind of thing that, okay. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say this again later, but it, it bears repeating. You know how they say they don't make them like they used to? Yes, they do. We just didn't preserve the bad ones. Or the mediocre ones, really. They preserved the good ones, and so everybody remembers all the good stuff, because that sticks around. But there's a whole lot of chaff that gets separated from the wheat, and Vibes is kind of in, in that. We'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Anyway, as always... The podcast. Please help us spread the podcast. Share it on your social media feed. Subscribe to the podcast. Rate it on iTunes. And if you want to reach out to us, go to our website, maghuge.com. M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. You can find all our old episodes there. Uh, but you can also find links to hit us up on Twitter. We're at maghuge. You can find our Facebook, our Instagram. And you can find a link to email us, magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. All right. Uh, let's, let's get vibing. We're back. Welcome We're to back. the sultry sounds of the magnificently huge podcast. What's up, fellas? <laughs> that's, that's, that's hey there, Sheila. The she's out, oh, that's what's not up. She's out on the Pacific <laughs> Coast Highway, and she's getting over a breakup, and she'd like to hear a little song that'll help heal her heart. Yeah. Baby Hole. Oh, my God. Yeah. Magnet <laughs> and Steel. <laughs> doom, doom, boom, boom. Yeah. Hi, fellas. Hey, everybody. Give me your leather. Take from me my lace. <laughs> I don't know that we're ever going to stop uh, this. Yeah. No. You'll. No. We'll I, just I'm just going to wait now. Yeah. Hey. Okay. My name's Chris. Who's that over hey, there? Hey, Chris. Hi. I'm, I'm Eric. Hi, Brian. Oh, yep. Hey, Eric. Yeah, you're Brian. I'm Eric. Yeah. I'm. We did it. I'm tired of we this nonsense. The show. Yeah. Can we just get on to the fresh shit? This shit is fresh. And we included some of our characteristic talking over each other. <laughs> it's, it's our shit. <laughs> it's it's yeah. how we do things around here. For what you ever. get when you do a podcast where everybody's in a different room, which we've been doing since before COVID. Different room, different city, different state. There, there was a time yeah. when I used to go to painstaking efforts to edit the show so that we didn't do that, but then I realized no one's listening and it's a waste of my time, <laughs> so I stopped. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you think. <laughs> That's what you think. Uh, we have a so, very, uh, very sp specific audience. Go ahead. Sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll go with the fresh shit. First of all, uh, let me tell you a little bit about uh, eating less and exercising more because, uh, you know, I, 2020 happened and 2021 happened and 2022 happened and I've been gaining weight and, and we've had some family members with some health issues and like all of the... All of the advice is, well, yeah, you know, eat less, or eat better, exercise more. So I, w I started going to the gym. I started going to Orange Theory Fitness, yeah, which is like this like hour-long workout with a bunch of different stuff. And then I also started a new, you know, I had done Weight Watchers and done really well on Weight Watchers, but I realized that I don't have any self-discipline right now because the depression is just too much the last few years. So I decided to go on, you know, like, what's a program where I don't have to, like, think about what to eat or police myself? And we ended up trying Jenny Craig. Have you ever seen what Jenny Craig is like? Yeah. I've seen the commercials, yeah. but that's about it. So 
I mean, the, the, the appeal is you just buy the food from them and they plan it out for you. But the reality is, first of all, yeah, I'm, it's working and I'm losing weight because my calorie count is way down. But this is basically the Circle K diet. Okay, this, this is like Circle Craig. And what that means is like everything is frozen food and it's small portions. And like it's frozen burritos and, you know, frozen pastas and, and like normal ass frozen food. And I've been eating like healthier, fresh, low carb food for years. And this is weird. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing with dieting and exercise. I mean, it's the, like you literally just have to exercise all of the joy out of your life in order to make that sort of thing work 100%. That's been my experience. I've always felt that if you... I've always felt that if you had, if you knew that you had a very sort of non-addictive personality and $10,000, you could lose a lot of weight just on cocaine. I mean, you could just do blow this for like true. a month or two and come out of it yeah. like, oh, I'm skinny. That would work. Yeah. But then your heart would thank you for it years down the road. So, Well, that's the thing. But, non-addictive you know. personality. You got to stop once you're at your target weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, I'm getting off of this Jenny Craig as soon as I get my weight under control. But the exercise thing is actually working out really well, and I recommend it. Um, I, again, lack discipline. I can't just go, you know, will myself to go to the gym solo and do enough of a of workout to, to make a difference. So apparently I need a scheduled class with a person, you know, yelling and like, you know, dance music blasting or something. But it, it, it's getting the job done. So yeah. recommended workouts won't get you thin. They get you healthy, but it's, that's all Correct. like diet and genes, you know? I mean, uh, that's why, I mean, like I do rowing, we have a rowing machine and I fucking love it cause mm -hmm. it's actually fun, but it's not going to, that's not going to make any dent. The only thing that's going to make a dent is not eating donuts. That's, that's all. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the diet really is the thing about losing weight. It's and ultimately it's about portion control, no matter what you're eating. But anyway, uh, actual fresh shit stuff. <laughs> oh, that shit! I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I went and saw uh, a new movie uh, called "See How They Run." Um, I wanted to see that. You know what? That was fun. Uh, Saoirse Ronan and Sam Rockwell and Adrian Brody, and it's um. It's a take on Agatha Christie's Mousetrap. In fact, it is framed around a stage production of Agatha Christie's Mousetrap, but it is also an adaptation of Mousetrap. And it's, you know, the trailer make it look like they're going for the full-on Wes Anderson vibe, but they're really not. There's elements of it which, you know, Static Framing and Adrian Brody are, are primarily those elements, but it's just, uh, it's a movie within a movie, a play within a movie, and also its own little uh, murder mystery, and I had a good time. Uh, good one to watch. Don't think you need to go out to the theaters to see it. It's, it's certainly something that you can, like, stream when it hits streaming. Hmm. See how they run, the, the thing that they do with it... Um, is they're they're trying to kind of do the scream thing where it's like self-conscious, right? Like they're the characters are criticizing the tropes of the Agatha Christie who done it while they play out in various forms right there on the screen. They know that there are tropes and I'm making it sound like that would be annoying, like, oh, too cute by half, but they they get away with it. Um yeah. Enjoyed it. it uh, three stars. It's nothing. It's not going to knock your socks off. And I guess I would contrast that with the trailer for Glass Onion, which is the next, um, mm -hmm. the next Knives Out movie with the Benoit, Blanc, Benoit or, Blanc or whatever. Yeah, with yeah, with, uh, which, Daniel Craig putting on great. an outrageous accent. So that, yeah, the, I mean, I love Knives Out. I'll be honest with you. I can still watch yeah. it. So it's. It's fun, and I'm looking forward to be that being some sort of weird, like, post-Bond franchise for him. Exactly. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I am much more interested in Daniel Craig as that character than I am as him as Bond, because the Bonds yeah. they've right. been writing have been shit. I mean, Bond hasn't been Bond in a couple of decades, so I'm yeah. more than happy to see him do sort of a new Agatha Christie-like Poirot character than Bond. Yeah, it's definitely a nice riff on Poirot. 
uh, because he's just got that weird affectation, uh, and he's kind of a, I don't know, an egotistical prick <laughs> almost, but he's such yeah. a good detective that it doesn't matter. So it's a nice riff. I like that Ryan Johnson it's... has managed to, to rebound from all of the flack he got for Last Jedi. So it's good. Yeah. It's his, I'm, um, I'm... His, his Columbo. You know, Columbo was always yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of an idiot, but and so nobody respected him. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Anyway, that's me for Fresh Shit. What do you guys got? Oh, oh, what have I got? I'm uh, going to tell you to cue the stomping Tom, Brian, because uh, NHL preseason okay. has started. And you know how I love my hockey. I'm not a sports guy, but I will sit down and watch hockey 24-7 if I could. I love that man so much. It's just large people skating very fast into each other and fighting and stuff. <laughs> It's just, I love <laughs> hockey so much. So, uh, that's all I have to say on that subject because it's the preseason, so it doesn't really matter. But uh, more to come as that goes. But uh, as far as the rest, uh, all we've really been doing, my wife and I, this last week or so, is uh, we've started watching MASH from the first season because it's just... Okay, what is with all the mash it, suddenly hitting the internet? It is there, like, just, some event? No, it just turned 50. So it's okay, the Korean War. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's a uh, reminder yeah, that, it's, uh, you know, the evil empires still exist. Yeah, it's the... Is, it's 50, the gold anniversary, or the silver? I don't remember. I think 25 is the silver. Don't care. But, uh, um, but yeah, it's, it just turned 50 from its premiere in 1972. Uh... And so it's on Hulu, so we just decided to, what the hell, kill some time, we'll watch an episode here or there. And the only thing that has struck us so far is that in the first season, Radar is totally not the little milk toast uh, kind of dude that he is in later episodes where he's, you know, got the teddy bear and uh, drinks grape knee highs. Like in the first season, he's a conniving little shit who drinks and smokes and tries to get with nurses. It's like the weirdest thing if you haven't gone to MASH in a while because you have this image of Radar from the later seasons and then you go to this first one and it's like, this is a totally different character. And it just makes me wonder how that hmm. writing room shifted over time. Well, you, you got to remember I mean? that this is, you know, this is a TV version of a, a film that existed that was you know, a, a vile and horrendous thing. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. The oh, Mash no. film I find just so galling, but 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 Radar the character was also played by Gary Berghoff in that, so I'm guessing right. there was some carryover, you know. Yeah, it's just you know, as Alan Alden said, it's the first season was mostly drunken shenanigans with a little bit of the uh, moralizing, I guess is the best way to paraphrase yeah. it. Uh, but over time, it just got to unwatchable for me. It just, it like every episode was just about the horrors of war and it's war as hell. And then like the last episode, goodbye forever now, men, uh, was like the most watched non Super Bowl show ever to this day. But it's literally like like Hawkeye in the the loony bin because he's finally yeah. just lost his mind over the death. He's like seen one too many deaths and it was like a kid involved. I mean, it was just like the most. Bizarre. It's the way it had to end, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just a strange. But the, but the idea that it ran for eleven seasons, whereas the Korean War was barely three years. I mean, that's just yeah. always hilarious well, to me. To what degree? I mean, I had I had always assumed, and and bearing in mind that my exposure to Mash was you know as a child, mm -hmm. and I did not revisit it as an adult. Yeah. But I had always just assumed that it was really a show about Vietnam, but they just set it in Korea for you know because the that's where yeah. the movie had been set. I mean, that's more the the age that it came out. But the the book that it's based on is the the guy's experience in Korea and all of that nonsense. And so when Altman took the movie on, it sort of became a weird pseudo parable for Vietnam. But it's still it, you you could do either or. Honestly, it's like let's chew through our feelings on Vietnam without actually with with plausible deniability. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, right. Because right. it's well, Korea, it's also we're we're course. trying to make a comedy, and there are people in the audience who have you know like kids who are actually being you know murdered in Vietnam right now. Maybe we yeah. don't want to go straight for that. Yeah. Also, yeah, the source material you know was Korea. I'm not sure there was anything comparable 
or good yeah. that was about yeah. Vietnam at the time. It was too young. Yeah. Mm. But uh, it's, I mean, I watched a lot of MASH reruns when I was a kid. And so it's, it's almost like a, a cozy blanket for me. Uh, I think the, sh- the only show that I probably watched more in reruns was like Hogan's Heroes, which is also a, like a weird fantasy version of another war. <laughs> and so it's like yeah. my childhood is very uh, tainted with these weird pseudo histories, docudramas or whatever, but it's like played off as comedy. So that's an, I'm that's sorry, actually, there's an, go ahead. an interesting through line between those two things that Alan Alda, I guess, when he agreed to do MASH, one of the requirements was every episode have blood in it. Just to right. remind people that you know this is a real war with real death, yeah. and with Hogan's Heroes, um, I can't remember the name of the actor who played Colonel Clink, um, but he oh, yeah, his his remember. his requirement Werner, was Werner Klemperer. Thank you, Werner Klemperer. Yes. His requirement was Clink is never right and is never smart. It's like yeah. th- you can never in any way, uh, nice guy, the main antagonist Nazi. Yeah, and I was like, all yeah, the Nazis are buffoons. Good yeah. on you. Yeah, never have, never have a redemption for the Nazi in the fucking TV show about World War II. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so it's so it's interesting. Chris, I'm interested in the things you said about it being kind of a warm blanket, and also the differences between the season one and the others, because my recollections of Mash, even at the time, were basically that every episode was interchangeable, right? Like. Pretty they much. all had kind of the yeah. same tone, and they all had kind of the same events, and and uh, I mean, I guess it, it, I never felt I wasn't following it, so maybe I just I mean, was too young to get it. Yeah, I mean, I there's know. yeah, there's standalone episodes, and it's just basically about the crazy eccentric uh, surgeons who were conscripted into the army for the the war effort, uh, who really don't want to be there. So it's just all of the the seriousness with which they take their duties as surgeons, but when they're not doing that they're just fuck all the army can suck it i mean that's literally the vibe so it's just this weird balance between being very serious in the medical work but being just completely you know against any sort of authority in the rest of it and just getting schnockered 24 7 in between and so that's literally what every episode is about but the first season so far every episode is basically uh hawkeye and trapper and the gang just fucking around and then frank and hot lips getting so pissy and then calling in like a general or whatever to to arrest them or reprimand them or whatever and then the said general comes in and sees what a great job they do and then forgives everything and then the the ball just keeps rolling so it's that's like every yeah, episode and so trying to get thrown out and yeah i mean yeah. that's the show that's like every yeah. episode of the show so it's just strange but i i look forward to i think it's like fourth season when Frank and Hot Lips finally broke up and Frank has no moorings anymore. And then suddenly he becomes this very humanized character. As a child, I remember watching it and just thinking what an, a weird shift that was. Because forever you're set to not like Frank. Just period. Because he's Frank. But then suddenly he is no longer seeing Margaret and then you and then you kind of get the idea that that was a very codependent toxic relationship and so suddenly Frank becomes this like regular guy and I just remember as a kid mm. my mind just getting exploded by that idea it's like you can do that <laughs> you can literally just change a character like that and make them nice and it just like blew my mind as a kid so yeah it was good but I think my favorite thing about MASH is that, that no character was safe like you just like like they kill Henry when he goes home, uh, like the start of the season where Trapper gets sent home, but Hawkeye was in Seoul or Tokyo or whatever, and he comes back, and then like that whole episode is him chasing Trapper to say goodbye, and then meeting BJ instead, and that whole thing, and that was always a fun episode for me, is kind of the weird transition. So, like I said, Mash was like a giant cozy blanket for me, and I just it's this is like revisiting an old friend <laughs> almost but i don't know how far All we're right. gonna get but you know it is what it is if you like mash watch it if you don't like mash watching mash yeah. is painless pretty okay. much i see what you did there <laughs> i see what you did there so yeah eric you got any fresh shit seriously uh yeah i got some uh so let's see we've got 
uh, the the series finale of Better Call Saul. I don't know if uh-huh. either of you've been caught watching any of that, but nope. I've been hearing a lot of people being really jazzed about the final scenes. Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah. It's, I've never I've never approached Gilligan's Island stuff, Vince Gilligan. Oh, oh yeah. No, it's uh oh wow okay uh better call Saul and so yeah it's the the whole show has basically been sort of a prequel to Breaking Bad, uh, and they give you you know the they give you everything you need to know about how better how Saul Goodman became Saul Goodman, but they also had this um this story device they did where the beginning of every season. There was like a black and white, like five minute bit on where Saul is now. And he's somewhere in uh, the you know, Midwest working at a Cinnabon in basically sort of the criminal version of the uh, witness protection, hiding people. Thank you. Yeah. Witness protection only. It's not FBI. It's, you know, something you pay to do so you don't have to go to prison. And hmm. so it would show like, okay, this is where he's now and everything kind of sucks. And then they would give you in color the story of what happened. The last three episodes of the season are in black and white to show you like now, now that you know all of that, here's what's happened to it. And I was like, I'm not into this. I, I, I like knowing where everything came from, but suddenly I'm watching a different show that I'm not interested in. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like, and the present is in black and white and the past is in color. Yeah. Which is sort of the opposite of the usual visual language yeah right yeah and and the thing is it it, it, yeah so so he has hijinks in black and white and you know it explains what ultimately happens to Saul. and it's like i get i get that i get that you can't just leave if if the whole show had been the color sections and it ended with him in a uh, gaudy house with a gaudy office going you know who's my next client that would have been unsatisfying because everybody wants wants him to either you know get his comeuppance or redeem himself. So, so I guess I guess they probably knew they were going to do this. It's just it felt. I'm sure other people will like it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I mean, care. Yeah. I don't need people to redeem themselves. But that's that's more you know a reflection on me. Mm. Yeah. And what a shithead I am. Eric's like, it's not violent, so I'm yeah. out. <laughs> I, like, I like watching things. I like going on YouTube and like looking for fight scenes with Jason Statham where he kills people with a fork, you know? Because like, yeah. to me, that's entertaining. <laughs> I don't need to know why, and I well, don't need him to go to jail for it. Well, that's also sort <laughs> of the, the fine line for like, prequel stories like that, because ultimately there are no stakes if you've seen yeah. the original source material. So it's sort of, I, I've never been able to figure out why people enjoy watching them so much because it's sort of like, ah, we know yeah. it's going to happen, you know? So at it's, a certain level, it's, it's just because kind of in out. my, in my opinion, nobody watches a sequel because they want to see something new. In fact, right. they watch it very specifically because they do not want to see anything new. They want right. the same old shit they got before. They go to, they're going to McDonald's to get the same thing they've had all their lives. This yeah. is, you know, that's what this is. Doing a prequel is basically just a, you know, a, a tool for giving people the same old shit, I think. Yeah. Well, just with mm. a different flavor, I guess. But it's just right. always annoying right. to An me. An excuse. That, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, um, like, I don't care. Like, if we get, like, a John Wick prequel when he's, like, in junior high learning how to be yeah. a fucking assassin i mean who's gonna give a shit god damn it you god damn it they're gonna do it <laughs> fuck you know, just because he young, said that <laughs> yeah young wick no just because yeah. eventually keanu ages out and they're gonna find some young guy and it'll be like john wick the beginning yeah yeah you know like, oh god like the only time that i'm into it if uh, if you can find a young person who does a funny impression of him i think that yeah. would be kind of hysterical but yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't no. care. But the reason they would do would, it is the same thing. They just want to give you the same old shit. Yeah. I would rather the, but 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 I would rather if they go that route that we get like John Wick Jr. Right, like go <laughs> forward, go into the future. Don't try to tie things up yeah. and meet up with the events that we. God damn it! 
You Damn think it. that would be less uh, <laughs> revolting, his child, than uh, the, yes. the, the prequel where he is a child? You, you don't think they're equally yes. pretty fucking bad? Well, I mean, you know, do the prequel and they, like, what sets him off is that some bullies kill his goldfish or something. Like, that would, <laughs> that would be the impetus. No, what sets him off is you killed my dad, John Wick. Uh, but anyway... <laughs> But whatever. Yeah. yeah, the only time that, that any sort of prequel shit has ever really worked consistently for me was in Austin Powers' Gold Member, when you get the flashbacks <sighs> of young Austin and young Dr. Evil and young number two. Like, there's no, there's no sense to it. They just decided they'd make them all go to the same fucking school, and they don't really make any sense of it. It's just there to be a joke, <laughs> but it still works for me. So that's the only time that that's ever been a thing where I'm like, okay, whatever. But it's only like five minutes, yeah. so that's why I think. All right. So anyway, better call Saul. A great way to not take a risk, basically. Right. A great yeah. way to not take a risk in an industry where your actors age out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there it's but it. that's not what's going on here. They 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 prequeled because it wasn't just Saul's background they needed to establish. There was a bunch of stuff with the show, and I guess they're making they're looking at making a third one. I don't know. <laughs> we shall uh, see. Everybody just, likes everybody likes trilogies. Cut your losses. Uh, Jesus. Okay. Yeah. What else you got, Eric? Uh, another show uh, uh, that had its season finale, but not a series finale. Hacks. I highly recommend this show. Hacks. I didn't uh, like the Gene season seen, as much. I, the first season. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, like the Gene Smart as much. And 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 uh, Lorraine Newman's daughter, whose name I totally do not know. Hannah Einbinder. Thank you. She's her writer. She's Gene Smart's character's writer as they try and establish her new material as she leaves Vegas. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically another uh, uh, amazing Mrs. Maisel kind of thing, except this is more, I think, real in that she bombs a lot. She has a lot yeah. of material yeah. that just goes sideways <laughs> on her. She I has mean, a lot yeah. of gigs that fuck up completely. There's a great uh, uh, episode with her on a lesbian cruise. She thought it was a gay cruise. She was like, these are my people, and finds out it's a lesbian cruise and says, yeah. oh, I'm fucked. Yeah. <laughs> but then they love her until they don't love her. And then, and it's then like, they hate her, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are moments, her act but it just it's doesn't just, work for yeah. a lesbian crew because it's her her all her stuff is about you know like jokes about dicks basically yeah but second season was sort of hit or miss for me because they they do the whole i don't know just goofy stuff like there's the whole bit where she throws a lawsuit at the young girl for breach of contract and then that sort of becomes like this weird like we'll reference it when it becomes time to reference it, but otherwise we're just going to ignore it and let them bond anyway. I mean, it's like it did none of it really rang as true to me the second season. I mean, it's still good, but uh, I don't know. It just felt like it was. Yeah, running I mean, they 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 would gas. just reference that like as soon as you think things are going well, it's like yeah, but she's still suing her. Yeah, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like okay, yeah, things are improving, but she is still suing her. Yeah. I don't know. I it it, it it's. It's not a bad show, is all I'm saying. There are no, it's no. A, I liked it. It was entertaining. It's certainly not shit, but it's um, I mean, I'll watch anything with Gene Smart anyway. She's just anything yeah. she's done is just good. I mean, she's one of those underrated right? actresses. You know what I mean? So yeah. yeah, it's we're we're in the Gene Smart Renaissance. I hope uh, so. <laughs> it's like what I can't think of all the. It's like I think I think it started with Watchmen, and then uh. Legion and now this. She's just like getting great TV stuff. I mean, yeah, no, Legion was where she sort of came back and then Watchmen, but she's been around forever. So. Okay, yeah. No, when she when she came was in Watchmen, I was like, whoa, what a great fucking choice for the you know aged uh, Silk Scarlet. I mean, which and speaking or, of Watchmen, or, like uh, just randomly there was an episode of two two seven on the TV as I was flipping channels. And Reg- Speaking of Watchmen, yeah. 227, and what the yeah. fuck? Regi- Regina <laughs> King played the daughter on 227, and I'm like, holy fuck. It's like, she's been acting since she was a child? I did not realize this. I was totally thrown aback. But now she's like the big <laughs> Oscar award winner now. So it's just weird. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, final show. Uh, okay. The Patient on Hulu. Um, 
you know, it, you know, you know what's great I about don't know about it. Yeah, what's great about being young is that you can remember names of actors, uh, which, but 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 of course, <laughs> the the nice thing about the age we live in is that I can sort of vamp for a moment or two while I Google look it? it up on my yeah. tablet. Here we go. So um, it's it's really effective. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, okay, don't so draw attention to it. A, yeah, a therapist gets a patient who is a serial killer. And uh, the serial killer kidnaps him so that they can have sessions at the serial killer's home and he can be more honest with him because, oh, of course... Oh, oh, Who are the stars in this? Yeah, I've seen the trailer. Well, it's a good thing you ask because I know this. It's uh, <laughs> Steve Carell and uh, Dom Hall Gleason. Oh, and I didn't okay. know Dom Hall Gleason is the son of uh, that, that big fat guy uh, who's Brendan in a lot Gleason. of stuff. Brendan Gleason. Brad, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Mad, he's yeah, mad, he, mad Moody or whatever his name is in Harry Potter, right? And that he's he's you know he, he's in charge of one of those those star destroyers in one of the Star Wars movies, and him and his son end up screaming at each other about when they should be launching Tie Fighters. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, um, yeah. yeah. So they they yeah they have this interesting relationship where he's got him chained up in his basement uh, and brings him food from the. He's, 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 he's one of those restaurant, uh, uh, health safety people. So he's always going to different restaurants and bringing home food from them for him to have. It's, it's a half hour. So That's the, the problem. The My problem with the show. In the basement is eating better than Jenny Craig. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. And <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like, I, uh, I want to get behind this show, but it's like each episode is a half hour long. This is a show that should be, you know, an, a standard hour, but no, no, it wraps up so goddamn fast. Um, See that you're actually making it more appealing to me because it's, it's so much more approachable to just like jump in for a half hour of something. Okay, maybe this night. is for yeah, you yeah. then. Yeah, it and yeah, so he's he's you know, locked up in his basement. It turns out that uh, this is his the guy's mother's home, and she knows about all this and. I'm, I'm of the, just, I'm suspecting that this shrink is basically going to use his powers of shrinkiness to turn these people against each other so he can get free. I don't know. I think that would be the best way for this show. I don't want him to actually try and fix the serial killer. Get the uh, screenwriter over here making suggestions about the narrative flow. Wink, wink. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, okay. it would be a lot more interesting than you know. I'm really trying to help you, man. I, I'm, I, I, I tire of the the Stockholm syndrome as a plot device. What, you know, what if the guy mm. turns out to be a young John Wick? Would that blow your mind or what? It would blow. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> this is <laughs> no. In the prequel, Dom Hall or Brendan Gleeson plays the father of Dom Hall's character and kidnaps a shrink. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, no, I think that might work. Anyway, okay. yeah, I, I'm not sure where this is going. It's getting a lot of buzz, a lot of jazz. People are talking. Maybe you like it. You <laughs> That's could do worse. That's kind of what we do yeah. on the show. You yeah. Here's some things you Maybe you'll like it. Yeah. See, this is like, I think yeah. Hacks was better in that I was much more entertained. This, I'm just like, I keep watching it going, eh. And the fact that it's a half hour long doesn't help because every episode ends with, I don't know if I like this or not. I don't hate it. I hate those yeah. shows. It's like, well, I'm going to keep yeah. watching because I'm invested now, but damn it, something better happen. And I'm waiting doesn't. for it to <laughs> either really wow me or really offend me, you know? Yeah. Whichever comes One from. of the two. Okay. Right. But well, so far, luck. neither. Good luck. Okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, I, I saw this thing, Brian, on Amazon. I just want to bring this up. Sort of a fresh ship, but I it's games. And this this really astonished me. The Super Console X3 Plus video game console. Built in 114,000 games. From, uh, you know, like, like the shit you'd expect. 2600. Oh, some kind NES, of an emulator that. machine. Yeah, yeah. You know, okay. I, I, in you know, it's done. Uh, it's an Android nine box basically, but it also has like Sega Saturn, you know, Sega CD, 
um, like every old N64 shit that they used to say would never be emulated. And I'm like, this... At $170, so, I wish I had a time machine because I would then go back to 1996 and give it to myself and go, oh, here's everything. Here's everything. <laughs> right now, I could give a fuck less, but it's like, it's amazing that just the amount of money, e- 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 if we had I, had enough money to buy all these games, I'm not sure we would have. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I you've can got tell the whole you video game store. With- with an Xbox Series S or X can basically have that experience if they bother to go onto their Microsoft account and say, oh yeah, uh, put me in the free developer program so I can put my console in developer mode, and then suddenly you can install all those emulators on those. Um, oh, yeah. you mean if somebody knew how to do stuff? Yeah. 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 I mean, if somebody knows how to watch a YouTube video for 10 minutes, they can figure it out. Anyway. Uh- <laughs> I'm still trying to, yeah, I'm still trying to learn, you know, how to play like uh, a guitar and junk from a YouTube video. I know how to watch the video. I just don't know how to care. (laughs) There you go. Coming up next on the Magnificently Huge podcast, how to care. Yeah. 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 That's the YouTube video I need. Yeah. Hey, oh, that's meta. A YouTube video on how to watch a YouTube video and give a shit. That's that. That's going to (laughs) be that's going to be my jam. I saw it on anyway, TikTok. yeah, I, I saw that and I was just astonished that the Chinese have figured out something to really get, like, Gen X money. Um, but as you say, <laughs> yeah, it's just an emulator. Yeah, I was, your computer I was still can impressed. do it too, folks. I was still impressed that right. somebody can emulate, you know, like, Nintendo 64 Everything. games. Yeah. Right? All right, let's get on with the show. Seriously. So this week, a show, a movie that uh, has been kind of kicking around in the backlog of maybe we'll do a show about that, movies. <laughs> so let's get it over with. Yeah, really, like a band uh, Right until like, this oh, moment, yeah. I did not know which show we were going to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were because also we the main like, like, oh, time. Like, I was like, I'm going to wait for somebody to tell me what this week's goddamn show is well, yeah. again. But a little behind this, you see, you're also the guy like five minutes before recording, like sends out the Slack message, like, what's today's topic again? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It was I my like idea. It's like, oh, like that means expose the magic trick idea. for what it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so, this week, uh, a movie that's been in our show backlog, because, uh, you know, why not? We got a list of things we fall back on when we can't come up with anything better. And this week, that was 1988's Not at All a Classic. I bet you forgot this movie existed. Vibes. Vibes. Yeah. Starring I think the only people Jeff who went Goldblum to the theater. And Cindy Lauper. Yeah. Yeah. The only people who went to the theater to see this were Cindy Lauper fans who were like, oh, she's in a movie. Right. But otherwise, no one remembers this. Nobody knows this movie. It was the kind of thing I that just, just sat on a video store shelf back in the day when there were video stores. Yeah. I think uh, it's it's best summed up by the Roger Ebert review who gave it one out of four stars. And he said, movies like Vibes appear and disappear like fireflies in the dog days of summer. Nobody seems to have made them. Nobody sees them. Nobody remembers them. He just wrote that out and boom, yeah. he savaged it. And that's about as succinct as I can make it for this movie. So holding a staggering th- 13% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah which, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of bad movies out there that do a lot better than 13%. That is universal yeah. hatred. Well, tell the audience. I'm uh, gonna, I think today I'm going to be this film's defender because okay. I, I don't it. think it's a great film. I don't think it's a, a very good film. But given its, its place in sort of late 80s culture, yeah. It's, yeah. it's just about right, you know? I mean, yeah. it's, it's about it's exactly what you expect. What you get, yeah. So you, yeah. Get, a, so you, you get a you get a decent Jeff Goldblum experience. You get a decent first outing by a pop star, and I still maintain that this performance uh, uh, by Cindy Lauper is is better than any film performance ever given by Madonna, her, oh, her yeah. peer. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you every that. no matter yeah no matter how bad or weird shit gets. She has some real sort of Fanny Bryce moments that are actually quite good where you go, man, I wish she'd have done a couple more comedies. Yeah. I've never watched a Madonna film and thought anything other than, oh, she's naked again. 
Okay. Well, uh, Brian, tell <laughs> us the uh, the plot of this here movie. So, before we in, go in vibes, Cindy Lauper is a woman who has a connection with the with the spectral plane. She like talks to a spirit that that helps her through life, and she runs across Jeff Goldblum who is a character who has the ability to tell the history of what happened around an object if he touches it. And they are surrounded by a bunch of other people who either want to have psychic abilities or are pretending to have psychic abilities, but don't. There's a study going on. There's a study going on at the university. That's how these people are all gathered. That uh, the the blonde guy from... from, 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 uh, um, uh, Warlock. Warlock. Has Julian put together Sands. the room with a view guy, yeah, and Peter Falk, yeah, later, and Peter Falk shows up, yeah, and and so it starts out, you know, there's this is 1988. This is clearly an attempt to cash in on Ghostbusters. First of all, right. In fact, the pitch for this movie, according to Wikipedia, was romancing the Ghostbusters in the Temple of Doom. <laughs> yep, and. Yeah. They tried to get Dan Aykroyd to play the Jeff Goldblum character. This was written for Aykroyd by 80s hacks Lowell Gans and Babalu Mandel. God. Uh, Ron Howard collaborators. Is that why it's produced by Ron Howard? Okay, that makes perfect sense Yes, yes. This is one of those, uh, like, (laughs) City Slickers age. Yeah, from the the duo that brought you gung-ho. You know there's quality all over this script. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, So this is so 80s, right? And again... (laughs) Again, not not you know exactly defending this film, but not you know like just you know savaging this film. It's it's exactly that. It's just like all these other films people have said are good. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's got I mean, all the know. same shit in it that people liked anyway. For some reason, this film gets shat upon, but City Slickers does not. I don't know. I don't buy it. And, and and that I I'll meet you there, Eric. Like having not watched this in the eighties, by the by eighty eight, we're all sick of it. And this is really a, in some ways, I, I it's hard for me to to disconnect this movie from Ghostbusters two, right? Which was another mm-hmm. failed attempt to cash in on Ghostbusters. Um, but at least this one is its own thing. Uh, so I think yeah. it is actually more watchable today than Ghostbusters two is. Oh yeah, because it's its own thing. Uh, yeah. Peter Falk ultimately recruits them to go find this lost city of whatever and they end up going to the jungle and there are love triangles and everyone everyone wants to fall in love with Cindy Lauper. This is Cindy Lauper's character as the object of desire. She's playing the Meg Ryan character, but also she's Cindy Lauper. Right. And it's it's kind of weird cuz that's not Cindy Lauper's pop music persona yeah. at all well she said that when and so it's when like she... am i supposed to be more attracted to cindy lopper than i am supposed to be normally well, what is happening well, when she was you know? pimping the movie she said it, it different from her pop persona uh but she's very much uh kind of a kook but just likes to wear more leopard prints i mean that was sort of how she described it yeah so she's kind of a I sassy how skinny her legs are right no i was like yeah, yeah they kept like trying to show her legs and i'm like Jesus Christ! You well, need yeah, to because all, all I remember is girls. The video for girls just want to have fun, and she's got that crazy dress. And then at the end, she's like dancing and flapping around, but you never see her legs. <laughs> so this was sort of an astonishing yeah. revelation. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and it's kind of a shame that she didn't get a lot more film work because I actually think right? that that she had something here. The, well, her 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 character works. Her apparently they had no chemistry off camera but i think her thing with jeff goldblum works you kind of yeah you know the movie gets you to kind of root for them as a couple and 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 you don't really want them to have chemistry it's not that kind of film it's like you want them to be funny and i think they 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 worked in that way (laughs) well i mean it just yeah but it also felt falls right in with all of the the stuff of its ilk from the era because it's basically the mismatched couple uh, they get hired by the crazy guy to go on the Guga search in the jungle, but never really explained why, the where, why, or how. And then everything kind of goes off the rails, and then they sort of bond. 
And then they find the magic goo. And then at the end, the D team from ILM does some some optical <laughs> compositing. Yeah. Of stuff. And then and then James yeah. Horner slaps some weird pan flute music over it for the James soundtrack. James Horner, that's that yeah. that really like like boggled my mind. But then again, this is before he was James Horner when right. he was just a very talented, you know, sort well, of. Uh, well, this is sophomore. Well, this is post uh, Aliens. He did Aliens, right? If I remember correctly, yeah, yeah. So this yeah. is after that. He did yeah, a lot so. of Cameron stuff. So and it's it. also post uh, Rathacon. So he was yeah. on his way up. But uh, but it, Rathacon's an all timer. Yeah. That's a great score. But anyway, but if yeah. but yeah, but I agree with you guys that it does it fits right in with the the high concept comedies of the the era. Because I mean that's this is totally like Spies Like Us. This is totally The Great Outdoors. <laughs> yeah. This is totally. Uh, I'll, I'll watch this before either of those two movies again easily. Yeah, Great yeah. Outdoors yeah. is terrible. Yeah. But but you know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> uh, it's that it definitely falls in on that sort of vibe, if I may use the the phrase without being funny. Mm. Uh, and it's just from get. Oh, I'm pretty sure but, you can. <laughs> but what's funny to me is that the this is like the second feature by Ken Quapas, who was only known prior for doing the Sesame Street movie uh, about Big Bird, whatever the fuck that thing was called. Follow, follow that, that bird. bird, yeah. This follow is his follow-up oh to follow God. that bird. <laughs> and it's like... Not not unlike this film. Kind of yeah. kind of the same story, really. Yeah, except, you know, <laughs> less Cindy Lauper in that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this time it's follow that MacGuffin. Yeah. If you don't know what a MacGuffin is... Follow, follow that leopard yeah, right. print. It's, it's still very colorful, yes. Yeah, we'll have to tell you um, what a MacGuffin is someday. But it's just, but, but you, but, but my only issue with the movie is that it just, it, it sort of just, it starts, they set the story in motion and then it just stops. Like nothing happens at all. Yeah. Just, they go to Ecuador and then it just like stops dead in its tracks. And then they're doing this like weird thing with Goldblum and Lopper, sort of the, like, will they, won't they? Oh, they're so cute, but they kind of don't like each other. I mean, it's just, they spent way too much time on that nonsense. Because in a movie yeah. like yeah, Romantic, it's, it's like this yeah. and, weird love triangle, but not really yeah. thing. And, and then, yeah. And, yeah. and then, because in, in a movie like, like Romancing the Stone, it works because the, the actors are good. Not that Jeff Goldblum is, is bad, but when he's not giving proper material, he's really just not any good. Because, like, I would, write, I would put this movie vibes and, like, Transylvania 65000 into the same vat of just terrible. Like he was just, what the fuck was he doing in the late eighties? That's what I want to know. So yeah. <laughs> Fucking Gina Davis. Are you kidding? Jesus. Oh. Earth girls are easy. Come on. She man. was so fucking hot. No, she was in Transylvania fly. six, 5,000. Yeah. But you look at like, his... he didn't care. He wasn't reading nothing. He was like, yeah. Oh my God. I mean, he, look at he, her. Did, he did Silverado, uh, into the night. This is movie made me remember into the night. The fly. The gentleman. This thing he did with, uh, have you seen the Michelle fly? Pfeiffer. I've seen the fly. My mom saw My the mom fly. Saw the fly. Shut up. Everyone's seen Everyone's the fly. Seen the fly. But it's yeah. like, yeah, he did the fly, and then he did vibes and Earth Girls are easy, and then a bunch of stuff in England that nobody fucking heard of, and then yeah, thin man. ninety, and then ninety three comes back with Jurassic Park, and then it was sort of like everybody remembered who Goldblum was. It was just he's got such a weird career, but uh, but Lopper man, yeah, I don't know. Why she got so, like, I don't know, pushed off to the side Savaged. from this. Yeah, because yeah, it's sort of like she could have that's, gone on to do anything else. Yeah, that's the most interesting thing about this movie for me is it's actually pretty standard for its right. age. Mm-hmm. There is nothing really that offensive. <laughs> you know, it, it's just it's just her first time out, and so yeah, let's 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 rip on her. No, it's yeah. no better or worse than anything else. I don't see I why. Mean, Maybe she, she, you know, after all the heat from this, she said, fuck you. I'm not doing this ever again. Yeah, yeah right. I, I think yeah. the reason, no, I think the reason is that this movie bombed. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it had an $18 million budget and made less than $2 million Yeah. Right. In it, box office it, receipts. It so th- there's probably just a, hey, Cindy Lauper does not put butts in seats. So, yeah, yeah we're she done can't here. Open a movie. Well, yeah. I mean, let's be real. She wasn't doing it any favors with that theme song i'm just gonna put that out there because you go from something like the goonies are good enough to this where the the uh. 
where the the chorus is i've got a hole in my heart it goes all the way to china i mean that's just that's the phrase that's going to get repeated over and over it just it, but yeah. oh. it did get radio play didn't it it I did mean, yeah you heard that song but so did spies yeah. like us I mean, shit. They would have recorded anybody. Well, Paul McCartney. Yeah, they would have recorded anything with anybody for a movie soundtrack, and it would have hit the I, waves. I think the proper comparison, though, again, is Madonna. Her yeah. debut was really. I mean, she was in a movie or two before, but she, you know, uh, "Desperately Seeking Susan" is what yeah. put her on the movie map. Yeah, yeah. And she had a hit song, and like people were like, "Oh shit." People want to see Madonna in a movie, and she'll give us a hit soundtrack. Let's yeah. try this again. Yeah, it's who's just, that it's girl? Not the same product. Yeah, this this is Cindy Lauper's version of Who's That Girl. We'll just I'll just say that that's a good mm-hmm. comparison. It's yeah. sort of like it doesn't. It's sort of Ugh. trying to to grasp at the the zaniness, throwback comedy like thirty screwballish almost, and it just falls mm-hmm. so flat. Just boom on its face. Ugh. Ugh. But I, uh, but it's I just uh, just the idea that Madonna went on to not only make more movies she's directing her biopic her oh, own God. biopic well i mean, I mean the oh, level the level of chutzpah at work here it's yeah. going to be astonishing well i mean uh, lopper went on to do a lot of theater like broadway stuff she's she's had success yeah. there and she was on stuff like will and grace later and she actually holds her own on that as like a, a nemesis for for karen i guess the megan Mullally character i remember that vaguely and so when she's on screen or on stage doing stuff, she's just very good. I just, she's just not serviced well by any of this material vibes. It's just, yeah, no, it's just a big empty for me. Uh, it's hard to explain. Well, I mean, come on. It's a Babalu Mandel. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, but it's weird when like the faces show up because you get like Steve Buscemi in a very small role as like her just gross slime ball ex-boyfriend. And he's that like using funny. her for uh, knowledge to to bet on winning horses at the track and stuff like that. Mm. And then that's yeah, just so weird. And then like uh, Elizabeth Pena shows up briefly, like she was in a bunch of stuff, and then later did the voice of the uh, the the secretary in uh, the Incredibles, whatever her name was. Eric's recommendation for for her Lone Star. Everyone should see Lone oh, Star. Oh right, right, it's a right. Yeah, 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 movie. yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's just weird. And then so, Julian Sands, and then the guy named Googie Gress is the the weird douchebag, uh, pseudo psychic. It's like I saw his name come up, like Googie Gress. That is your stage name. That's amazing. Yeah, so, and he had work. You yeah. look at his his IMDb page. He he made his car payments off of you know everything in the eighties. Oh man, good stuff. Good stuff. So I actually think Eric, we're not misaligned here. I think I think I'm with you on this. The way I'd put it though is, like when people look back with nostalgia glasses at the '80s and they're just like, you know, man, you know, they don't make them like they used to. Yes, mm-hmm. they do. Here's the yeah. thing: <laughs> yeah, we right, didn't right. preserve the bad ones. Okay, you're only remembering the stuff that rose to the top. This is a time capsule. This mm-hmm, is like exactly. Here's what mediocre was like in the in the late '80s. So if if you really want a sense of uh, the true 1980s mediocrity, this is a great example of that. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, yeah. this one still People managed who, to get like, a, a Blu-ray release though, like two years ago. So oh, what doesn't? Still, they're still trying. I mean, to who get watches that Blu-ray anymore? Back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'll it'll be like the kids in the brain candy. It finally wins the the profit margin, yeah. <laughs> and then shit goes <laughs> to garage yeah. sale. Yeah, uh, I yeah. It, it, I think the thing is, a lot of people they say things like, "Boy, that you know, the '80s that was this great age, or the '70s was this great time. The '50s was wonder." Whatever they're talking about, it's always that period of time when they were in their twenties. Yeah. So I think the moral yeah. of the story is there is no decade that's better than another. Being young is better than being old. That's the only story. That's the only lesson uh, to be taken. I, I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the 2020, well, really from about 20, say 15 to whenever this fucking ends, yeah. is worse than all of the rest. Of I mean, it. yeah, <laughs> but it's I better guess. to be in your 20s and like have the the hope of getting laid rather than, you know, the knowledge of impending death. 
or, you know, like being in your thirties and going, where'd all this debt come from? You know, it's, well, yeah, your twenties are pretty <laughs> much where, where, where th- shit's good. Just but, try and die. Then that's all I can say. What were, but, what were we talking about? <laughs> but to bring it back to the movie vibes, if we may. Oh yes. Uh, I just, yeah, it just, it astonishes me that it was such a stillbirth because it's just, you know, it's obviously got some studio push. It's, you'd think they'd make a big deal out of Cindy Lauper's screen debut, but movies yeah. like Short Circuit 2 bested it at the box office. Movies like uh, Police Academy 5 bested it. Johnny B. Good. Were these movies out at the same time or well, same year? Same year. And so it's just a weird deal. Not- like. Big top P. Not hard to understand. Yeah. Yeah. Again, all sequels, all delivering what people think they already like. It's, yeah. You know, that's, that's I'm, my, my issue with sequels is, you know, you're never going to get anything new. You're going to get yeah. the same shit surfed over and over again. Well, and uh, yeah. Yeah. If you have like a new concept or a new film or just, just something nobody has ever seen before. Yeah. Good luck. I think police Academy five is going to do much better than that. Yeah. Well, uh, I think the only thing that uh, I can really say that would put this into perspective is the fact that Caddyshack 2 uh, made more money than Vibes. Oh, like, that by is like, embarrassing. By like tenfold. <laughs> it made like tenfold that more than... very bad, yes. <laughs> so that'll kind of give you a perspective on where things were in 1988 for those types of oh comedies. So. Caddyshack 2. It's like a fever dream. I, I feel mean, like yeah. I had bad acid and saw that. That yeah, is... Right? That is like astonishingly horrible. Yeah, yeah, it's terrible. Uh, anyway, yeah, I think Hot to Trot also made more money. the The Talking Horse movie with Bobcat Goldthwait. I mean, a lot of stuff made more money than Vibes, which is just astonishing. Was this to me. thing just released like in October or something? Was it just dumped in like the worst possible? No, it came out place? in like like August. So the dog days of summer, they just dumped huh. it like. You know, right around the the early days of August, and it just went nowhere. It just fizzled like a, a summer movie day. that's not going to compete. Yeah. I mean, I wonder actually if it was something that one studio head was shepherding. He got fired, and then the new guy had to release it because they would always tank whatever the last guy was working on. Yeah, it's like I, I don't know. Like, like if so, at some point they said, "No, you don't get your effects budget," and just just tie this thing up. Yeah. No, there's, there's really no excuse. Here's what this movie was up against when it came out. I'm, I pulled this up. It was the Blob remake. Oh, God. Something called The Rescue. Don't care. Mm-hmm. Clean and Sober. Michael Keaton going dramatic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that was his audition The Last for Temptation of Christ. Oh, God. And Mac and Me. Probably its <laughs> tightest competition. <laughs> Mac and Me probably blew it out of the water. For, the, for an audience. Yeah. Tucker, the man in his dream, and Young Guns. That's what came out the week Vibes came out. Oh, you know it got, okay. it got buried by Young Guns then. Yeah. Okay. I, I guess. I mean, before that, it was up against, like, the new adventures of Pippi Longstocking and Caddyshack 2. Yeah, no. Oh, God. I don't know why it died. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Ah, I don't remember any of that from 1988. I must have just blocked it. Because... There was just I nothing mean, to go see. Yeah. By 88, we were like, you know, seniors in high school and we were dating and shit. So I we, guess. we weren't as But I you know, in. still went to the movies. I mean, Jesus. But. Right. But you went with the mo- to the movies with a date and were you paying attention to the. Anyway. I mean, um, it depends on the movie. Like, if yeah. I went and saw Vibes, no. That'd have been a total, like, Mac in the back row kind of a thing. You know? See? Yeah. See? There you go. Yeah. So, anyway. <laughs> vibes. I mean, it's a movie you can watch it. I think it was what service is it on right now? Like Amazon, Amazon or something? Prime. I don't know. Yeah. I saw it on Prime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I if mean, you've got Amazon Prime, and of course you do, I mean, and and you want to see what '80s mediocrity looks like, check out Vibes. Yeah, I think if you want to see what Jeff Goldblum mediocrity is like, then you watch again. You watch Vibes, Transylvania Six Five Thousand, and Earth Girls Are Easy, all from around the same era, and you'll. Yeah. And, and two thirds of which have the the gorgeous Gina Davis. Oh, oh! You know, there's this. She was there's this one Gina Davis movie called Tootsie. There's some other people in it, but uh, uh, there's this Gina Davis movie Tootsie, or she is just so fucking fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. guys, that's the show. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. Share it on social media feeds. 
Uh, check us out on maghuge.com. M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. There's where you'll find links to contact us if you want to. Tell us about how hot Gina Davis is. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter. We're at maghuge. You can find our Facebook or our Instagram with the Magnificently Huge Podcast. And you can always email us magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. Uh, tune in next week for another show. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. And that's how I got to go to the prom with Gina Davis. You probably